Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Business of Design. I'm so glad you're here. Or maybe I'm not so glad you're here because today's going to be an unusual episode. I have invited Leslie Myrick, who used to work for me to come on the show. And she used to work for me in the years 2005 and 2006. And after about a year and a half, she ran screaming from the building and said she couldn't take anymore. So this is all before I implemented what we now call uh, Kimberly Selden Design Group's 15-step project management strategy and what you call Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy. We were in process of creating some of these steps and getting some of these systems in place, but we didn't have really any of them perfectly in place. And so Leslie was caught in that transition period between total chaos, which I think would have been much worse, and the more streamlined, mature process that we have now. And so Leslie and I got together in Dallas and we were joking that it would be really fun for her to come on the podcast and talk about what I was like to work with uh, before. And uh, yeah, that sounds great. There's alcohol. That seems like a great idea. And then afterwards, it hits me like, what am I talking about? Why would I ever want to put myself through that? So anyway, it's going to happen. Leslie's standing by. She's ready to go. Let me tell you a little bit about Leslie. She is adventurous. She's organized. And she's passionate about interior design. She currently lives in Waco, Texas, although she worked for me in Toronto, and she did a stint previously also in Pasadena, California. So she's been around a bit. She says she works with smart, cool clients who understand the value of working with interior design professionals, but they don't want boring. They don't want basic. They don't want what's expected. They want something unique, something special. And that definitely sounds like Leslie. Her mission is to empower people and help them bust out of boring. She says it rocks her world when a space comes together and her clients are so freaking happy. Leslie is going to share five things she learned while working at Kimberly Selden Design Group. And although she is kind and diplomatic, I will tell you, it does not always put me in the best possible light. But I think these things are worth talking about. And I'm grateful that Leslie was willing to be brave and come and share these things with us. If you're new in business or you're considering a relocation, Leslie is also going to share a few tips for building a business from scratch as she's had experience doing just that. So I think you're going to really enjoy Leslie. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. 
At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Cheryl, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Here we are, episode number 96. Do you remember Leslie Myrick when she worked for me? She worked for you before I did. Okay. So I think you came in right after. Anyway, this is going to be an interesting conversation hearing Leslie talk about what it was like to work with me before we had Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy in place. Well, and even your office systems um, were very much in place when I joined you, which was great for me, but I'm excited to hear what it was like before that. (laughs) I don't know if I am, but anyway, here you go. What is happening in the world of business of design? Well, we're still doing some follow-up from our Instagram episode a couple weeks ago. Um, Our members are great. They're really interacting with us online, and I'm seeing a lot of posts. Everyone's tagging hashtag BOD challenge, which has been great. Um, And one thing that we do for business of design that's really also important uh, for designers is to create consistency with your posts. It also keeps you accountable, and it's easier to manage uh, what posts you're doing every single day. You know, um, it gives you a specific... Uh, category to post in, a specific look, such as um, whether it's an interior shot or a quote, Um, but it also allows you to track your growth. So if you're doing a quote every, say, fourth post, you can compare what uh, interaction, the number of likes, the number of comments you got from one post this week to a similar post you did a couple of weeks ago. Um, Have you set up your your pattern sequence? Well, I've written it down and today is day one that I'm implementing it to be honest with you so but I will say I've already gotten more than 100 new followers since I've been doing proper hashtag and locations and those other ideas that we shared before so I'm kind of excited about that but my sequencing will be Monday's beautiful interior design. Tuesdays will be interior design process because I want to speak to clients about behind the scenes, the work we do that they do not want to do themselves. Wednesday will be business of design. Thursday will be decorating. And Friday is lifestyle, travel, tequila, that stuff. (laughs) And then on the weekend, I don't know, I guess I could just start the cycle again, which is what you guys recommend, but I sort of tied mine to days of the week. So I'll experiment and see how that goes. Well, anything just like proper office hours, I think you need to give yourself a break on the weekend if, you know, if you are posting for uh, work and with that in mind, if, if, posting on the weekend isn't for you, then sticking with Monday to Friday, um, I think that that can definitely work too. Okay, good. And we have events coming up. It's 2019 and boy, do we have events. We do. So long list, bear with me. But this week, uh, January 23rd is our is our first coaching call of the year. I know a lot of uh, members have set goals for the year. Um, they want to report in on how they did last year. We've got a lot of questions already coming in for that. So registration's open. Make sure you do sign up for that. Um, Australia is coming up so soon, two months away. Um, Friday, March 22nd, the seminar you're doing is still open. You're going to be talking about business of designs, 15-step project management strategy, business planning, fees and margins, 
managing clients. It's going to be a big seminar. So if you haven't already registered, make sure you get a spot for that. And then we're finally ready to announce that Business of Design Educational Series has partnered with High Point Market, and you'll be doing a three-hour CEU course at High Point on Friday, April 5th on launching projects like a boss. And then as well on Sunday, April 7th, no more negotiating, which will be a brand new seminar for you. Okay. So if you're coming to High Point and you want to inject that experience with some intensive learning, that three-hour course, Run Your Project Like a Boss, is a paid seminar, $295 in partnership with High Point Market. We're very excited about that. And then on the Sunday, a free seminar, one-hour free seminar, no more negotiating. So you may want to do both. We would love to have you do both. Yes. So uh, I'm excited to be going back to High Point with you again this year. So um, that's in April and Australia in March, group coaching this week. Uh, it's it's going to be a busy year already. It's going to be a busy year. And don't forget Business of Design Elite Retreat Santa Monica 2019. We are moving from Palm Springs to Santa Monica this year. We have some amazing home tours lined up in the vicinity. Lots of details coming, but save those dates, October 24th to 27th, 2019, Business of Design's Elite Retreat, Santa Monica. And we'll get details up on the website for those ones real soon. Awesome. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. And now back to the show. Leslie, how are you? I am doing great, Kimberly. How are you? Well, to be perfectly honest... I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> I, Why would that be? Right? I feel like there's something at stake here. Um, so we're just going to jump in. I'm going to be brave. And everybody's going to cut me some slack, I hope, if you if you learn things about me that are disappointing. Because Leslie really is in a good position to judge before and after. <laughs> okay, so... We worked together for how long? I think it was close to two years, way back in the day from, I think it was 2005, 2006. Right. Okay. So I was thinking about the fact that I didn't know what I was doing, but I hadn't yet discovered all the tools that I was going to implement in order to make my business better. So you saw firsthand what it was like to work at Kimberly Selden Design Group before we had those 15 steps. So just, I guess, just start by painting a picture for us. What was it like? So now that the tables have kind of turned 13, 14 years later, and I'm running my own business, girlfriend, I know how hard it is. And I see from such a different perspective what it must have been like for you having a business with employees and a building and overhead and all the craziness that goes on with that. So it was definitely an awesome learning experience working with you. And I learned a lot about what to do as a business owner one day, because I always knew I wanted to be on my own at some point. I would say I learned a few things what not to do, but I'm sure I'm doing the same thing now that people are looking at me and learning from my mistakes as well, for sure. All right. So I'll start with some general categories that I think are somewhat obvious. One of them would be office hours. What, what were the hours like? Full-time, lots of work to do. And at the time, 
we were doing pretty consistent overtime to keep up with the demand and meeting presentation dates and just staying on top of you know the million and a half things on our checklists for each project so i was i would say at that point i was lucky to go home at 5 30 for sure but that doesn't sound horrible <laughs> so i mean i i remember i believe there were some times where we stayed long past 5 30. yes uh, but maybe before 2006 it was even worse than that but you remember also some days where we're just like okay let's order dinner in because we're never going home oh yeah there were there was a lot going on which is awesome you had a really full pipeline it seemed and we had project after project after project it was just a lot to do and i think with most industries not not really ever enough time to do it when you are that busy I, I sense um, that Leslie is going to be somewhat kind to me on this podcast, <laughs> and it's very sweet of you, and you know I adore you, um, but you, I want you to know it's okay for you to just speak freely um, and say anything that comes to mind that uh, didn't seem like an awesome way to operate. So, so business hours, you said we frequently had overtime, like weekly on a weekly basis, you were in the office longer than you were supposed to be at 5.30. I feel like it was more often than not. I mean, to the point that the Swiss Chalet delivery driver knew us by name because we ordered in supper <laughs> so frequently. <laughs> oh, that's that right there is tragic. <laughs> what other categories can we talk about? That's a great question. I think as a junior designer, I saw a lot of the actual design side of projects. And I, I wasn't privy to learning more about the business side, the client management, the contracts. And those are things that I think now, you know, 10 plus years, I would have loved to be part of that. At the time, it wasn't appropriate for my role or for my skill set or anything. But it was kind of interesting. I always liked watching and seeing how you were doing things and working the clients. And, you know, you, you still have your your hat in a lot of, I don't even know the right expression for that. You're doing a lot of things. You were doing a lot of things then. And you have a really cool diversity of things going on now as well. And so it was just really interesting to see how you kind of balanced the people, the clients and the staff and the commitments and everything that was going on. As the as a junior, though, you're saying it would have been nice to have more access to things that would have come at you down the pipeline because you really we were really at that point much more rigid in the roles assigned to people. Yes, absolutely. I think that would have been hugely beneficial. And not that it's your job to train the next generation of designers, but I think, you know, a lot of people that start their own firms do go work for someone who's well established, who has a lot to share and a lot to teach and, you know, can kind of glean wisdom, even if it's not directly shoved in their face, you can pick up things that are going on and get a good sense of, okay, so this is how we might do X, Y, or Z or how we might price things. And there's so many things I do now that I unconsciously realize, I'm like, I learned that from Kimberly. That's what Kimberly does. Like, I don't question things because I'm like, that's just how we, that's how you do it. That's a thing. Kimberly does it that way. It's so funny because I do think you were during the transition years. So had you yes. been five years earlier, you might be able to describe a situation that was more chaotic. Um, but I, but I do remember that we were already doing a turnkey approach to design when you were there. So, so that right away solved a whole bunch of problems. Yeah. And that was such a fun part, being able to actually see a project fully completed, you know, not getting Canadian fired, as you put it, halfway through, but actually being able to 
put every last vase and hang every last piece of art and get it really that that wow moment for the clients. And that's something that I have implemented today as well. So do you remember us getting fired? Did we get fired back then? (laughs) I remember some rather difficult clients at the time that we had under our belt. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I think it's been, I'm pretty sure it's been over a decade that I've been fired. Um, So I don't remember if there was one during your time period. Do you remember any client names? I'll bleep this out so people won't hear it, but that could remind me. The one... The one really, there's two difficult ones that I know of. It was a pain in the butt. Oh my and God, yeah. that guy was an, he was the only client that ever made me cry. Like, you are not a nice man. Oh my <laughs> I gosh. Those two. I am so happy. great ones too. Yeah. But those two stick out as like, oh. <laughs> Okay, that's really good for for me that you gave me those names, even though we beeped them out for everybody else. Because I hope I, you did. I don't want to be on the line for this. No, no. <laughs> I completely remember those two clients, and we were not, in fact, fired from either either of those clients. So I think it's more like 12 or 13 years since I've been fired. And I'm going to venture to guess that we were using about half the 15 steps, even though we weren't calling them 15 steps at that point. So the the one, the first client you referred to was extremely dramatic. And when anything would go wrong, she would take to her bed and put her hand up on her forehead like she was fainting. Yes, she would. Right? And it was, it was kind of crazy. That was kind of crazy. And then the second one you mentioned was absolutely a crazy, raging lunatic. Right? <laughs> And he was the one who was who really took advantage of his contractor. Do you remember that whole situation? I remember there was something about an allowance made for an appliance, and it was a bit vague. And he held him to it and wanted like a Viking range, but the budget was for say Frigidaire or something. Yes, and he made him do it. Wow. Oh gosh. Okay. So yeah, specifically, the contractor was fairly new in business, and this client is a well-known. Canadian businessman who makes just boatloads of money and the contractor in his inexperience put down appliances generic for the boathouse for his cottage on Lake Muskoka and put down a number of something let's just say $10,000 and then the client wanted a Viking range and a sub-zero fridge and a melee this and a melee that and the package for appliances came to something like $40,000 he insisted that the contractor give him the $40,000 worth of appliances without giving him any more money which broke my heart and I actually Mm -hmm. begged the client not to do it I told him like he's a young contractor is inexperienced you know made him do that you know better and when he wouldn't relent we actually fired him and did not do the main cottage we only did the boathouse I think that was a good way to handle it I felt like it was one of those things that you know some people have common decency and we'll make it work somehow and this just seemed like I think most clients in general are great, but you're going to get those few that we're going to look at every line item and see what we can squeeze out of this. And it was so hard to watch that, even as a junior who was not on the line for anything, but just seeing that that is the reality of this business. And if you don't have your contracts buttoned up and make sure you know what you are proposing to a client, what you're on the hook for, things can things can turn south, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. You are so right about that. 
So you prepared a list of, let's call them observations, that you are going to share with us. We may as well tackle it. These were just sort of like my five high-level things that I learned. Track your time in 15-minute increments every day and bill for every minute. I saw a lot of, I can't bill that. I'm going to knock a few thousand dollars off. And I have to say, even seeing that and being like, that's crazy. She shouldn't do that. I still wrestle with that. Did you see us wrestling with billing for that? Or did you see us pretty being pretty dedicated about billing for that time? I was there at a point where if a monthly bill was put together and it seemed too high, you would just take a couple thousand dollars off to soften the blow. Oh. And inevitably, it would still be too high. And the clients would still be upset. And it would always be a fight. And I think eventually the, the learning was just charge them what they need to be charged. Like they're, you put the work in, you can stand behind it. Oh my gosh. Okay. There's my soft underbelly exposed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that my staff saw me doing that. I thought I did that quietly behind the scenes in my shame, we but you saw everything. me do it. Oh. <laughs> no. And I understand, you know, at the time it was again, coming from the perspective of a junior designer, not the business owner. It was like, we worked those hours. We were here eating Swiss chalet and working late for you. Like we, everyone deserves to get paid for that. And I can understand though, it is hard when the reality is, hey, your billables are $6,000 this month. We put a lot of time and energy into your project. That's a scary, that's a scary send to hit on the email. I know that, I see that now. Okay, now have you ever taken hours off? Never, absolutely, I do a lot, yes. <laughs> oh, you do a lot? No. No, 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 I'm getting better. Good. But it is still something that no matter, you know, been I've been full-time on my own for three years, working in the industry for 10 before that. It is still really hard to click send sometimes yeah. because you just, there's the fear. And even though yeah. we do good work, we, we are honest about our bills. We can prove every minute we spent on your project and that it is justified time. Even, I think even as designers, we underestimate how long things take. Mm-hmm. And a client is really going to underestimate how long things take. And there's it, there's a lot of fear, I think, in sending billable hours out. And it is it has taken courage some months to hit send and trust that it will be fine. And I've, I think, only one time had a client challenge me or ask questions about the billable hours. Wow. And he was a bit irrational, and that was a whole nother ball game. <laughs> but most normal people understand and know they are investing in a luxury service when they're hiring a designer. Yeah. It's so interesting. Okay. So, so I have admitted this before that it's still as hard sometimes to bill clients. I still sometimes look at the bill and think, oh my gosh, they are going to have a heart attack. So yeah. I'm not sure that ever goes away, but you know, now I can say, I just, I hit send, I face the fear and I do it anyway. Um, and back then I, I was in the habit of taking money off and we probably back then had 30 clients at a time. So imagine if I'm taking $2,000 a month off of 30 clients, that is $60,000 in billables a month that we're not getting. And that has such a huge impact on the bottom line. That's the difference between a business that is succeeding and can't make payroll. So true. Okay, that's an awesome one. Okay, number two. One other thing I learned from you, Kimberly, is about developing strong and loyal relationships with vendors, and they will come through for you in a pinch. I felt like you had, even before the 15 steps, you had this really solid A-team of contractor, 
your drapery workroom, your custom furniture maker. And we always knew that if something went awry, and as we all know, stuff goes awry in projects, we could call that person because you had years of relationship with them. And we could say, hey, the upholstery for the sofa has a tear at the seam. Can you be out there today to fix it? And we knew they would. Mm-hmm. That is something that's really spoken to me. And as I'm building my trade list, my vendor list, I'm working on really curating, I hate that word, it's a bit overused, but you get the idea, curating and kind of refining my go-to vendors, whether it's for product, whether it's for service, and making sure I'm using the same people and I'm building the relationships with those people because it's so much more fun when you know your team and you know you can trust everybody on your team. You've relocated a few times too, so do you have any tips for someone listening who's just getting started about how to build your A-team? It has taken me trial and error. So I started in Toronto. I was in Pasadena, California, and now I'm in Waco, Texas. So I've moved countries, I've moved cities, I've moved businesses. I have found word of mouth is probably the best way that I've found good people. However, word of mouth plus meeting that person face-to-face before you ever do a job together and building that relationship, making sure it's a good fit. I needed a quick contractor for a project a couple years ago my painter recommended a handyman friend. I hired him without meeting him. He drank on the job. He wired things in poorly. Everything he did was wrong. And I paid a few thousand dollars out of pocket to fix that mistake. And never again will I hire somebody just because someone says, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. I think it's really about asking around, but doing your homework, making those connections and making sure you meet them and can tell, hey, this is someone that I can trust and I can work with. Well, that totally makes sense to me. Okay, good. All right, another, let's hit another one. Put your money where your mouth is and show your employees they're valuable by paying them well and respecting their time. I would say gifts and kind words are nice, but they don't pay the bills for a young junior designer in a big city. Okay, so I I will lead here because you're probably too polite. I think that um, <laughs> I... Uh, how do I put this? There were times where I wanted to buy gifts when money would have been better. There were times when I took staff on a trip where money would be better. And it finally took someone who worked for me um, to be brave enough to tell me a trip is nice, but money is better for me to go, oh, oh, of course. So is that, (laughs) would you, was that your experience too? I don't remember what it was like in 2005 and 2006. Now you hit the nail on the head with that one. I think there was there was lots of definitely lots of attempts on your end to communicate gratitude and value, but a beautiful pair of designer sunglasses wasn't about to buy me groceries for the next two weeks. <laughs> so it was a wonderful thought and gesture, but admittedly, I mean, cash is king. It's so valuable to someone to get you know a little whatever a bonus, whatever that might look like in your business or structure, and sometimes it feels like gifts are missing the mark, I guess, even if they are well thought out and well intentioned. That is such good feedback because I thought in my little head that money is just so generic and it doesn't show that you tried to think about that person and what they might need or want. Um, But once someone said it to me, I was like, oh my gosh, of course, I remember what it was like to be 30 and I needed more money. I needed more money. I did not have enough money. Um, and right. so now I'm much better about that. <laughs> I oh, like wow. that. Yeah. 
And you know, it was this sort of conflicted place to be because there was gratitude and appreciation and I knew that the heart, your heart was in the right place, but it was also like, I don't really need these. I need, I need help paying my rent right now. I need to be paid for more overtime. Like I just need some money. <laughs> Did I give you sunglasses? You bought me these gorgeous designer sunglasses when we were in France. No, oh my god! I love them. I, I made them work years. They probably lasted me five years before they finally broke a hinge. And I was like, no, I'm never going to be able to afford these again. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Did I buy myself a pair the same day? You bought someone else on staff a pair. I don't remember if you bought one for yourself as well. I just remember buying two. We were in the south of France, right? We were. We were in Nice, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So for people listening, like, why were you in the south of France? We, um, for 13 years, I ran something called Design Express, and we would take home enthusiasts to different cities in diff- different countries around the world to teach them about design and architecture. And uh, so, so that's what you meant when you said I had my finger in a lot of different pies. We had other things going on besides just the design clients, but the design clients were the moneymaker. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry I didn't give you money back then. I like the glasses, but thank you. <laughs> no, this is really good. We should have had this conversation in 2005, but there you go. Well, now you we're having what? it now. 22-year-old Leslie probably wasn't ready to have this conversation, and I don't know if you were at that time either, so it's nice to have some time and distance and some growing up on my end. <laughs> oh, and my end too. Coming yeah. back to it. Yeah. My end too. Okay. This is really cool. All right. What's next on the list? This is about contracts. And what I learned from you is to ensure your client contract clearly explains how you price goods and services to the client. So there are no surprises. And what made me think of this is that when I was working with you, Kimberly, we had a client, one of the ones I mentioned to you earlier, who went behind your back and called a vendor and the vendor shouldn't have, but gave him your trade pricing. And I remember this client was quite upset at feeling overcharged by you. And I don't know what was in your contract at the time, but either way, it was a very, it it wasn't a pleasant situation to handle having a client, first of all, that doesn't have the trust and goes behind your back, but also find something out that breaks down trust and integrity. Was that, was it a faucet? It was something bath fixture related. Yes. I don't remember exactly what it was. I remember this. And I think it was worse than they quoted her my trade price. They actually quoted the client a better price than my trade price. Wasn't that it? I was just appalled. And then the the company that did it, who was... They then turned around and said they would give me a better price than the better price they gave the clients. And I'm like, but you don't understand. Now I look like a liar and a cheat. Like, there's no way I win now. You've made me look horrible. So um, I, gosh, you know, some of these things are so painful when they happen that I can remember them since 2005. Like, that's horrific. But that always stuck out to me as such a strong learning lesson a, about vendors and relationships. And this was a good vendor. So I was surprised that this happened too, because they were someone that we had worked with on the regular. And also just making sure that my contract now explains how I charge. And I've gone back and forth with different models. I used to be, I wrestled with super duper transparency. My price is X and we put blah markup, you know, yay, look at us being so honest. And I had clients look at that and go, okay, well, why aren't, why aren't I paying X? Like, I can see how much you're paying and I can see how much you're making on me. This isn't fair. 
the focus was not on here's how much we're saving you off of retail. Mm -hmm. So I've had to kind of tweak my pricing model and my verbiage and get to a place where it makes sense. The clients feel and see and understand the value and we're still making money and everybody wins. Yeah, it's so interesting. You don't want to you don't want to be so honest that clients can pick away at it. On the other hand, who doesn't understand that you have to make money? It's just ridiculous. Right. Wow. But if I went into the Gap and there was a sweater that was I saw the Gap's price was $40 and my price was 90, I'd be like it stings a little even if you know. But if the price just says 90, that's a $90 sweater and you're happy with that. Right, right. The reality is if it's if they paid 40, you're probably paying 120. Well, that's true. <laughs> right. And, and you should. And why, that's how this works. I was just going to say, why shouldn't they be able to charge that? Why shouldn't they be able to make a living? You should be able to make a living too. Is there something else on the list? The last one that I always, this was a real positive that I saw at that time, even without the 15 steps, even without all the nuts and bolts in place. But you were really great about committing to firm dates with your clients. If you told them a proposal presentation date, come hell or high water or a million late nights at the office, we were going to be knocking them dead on that date at that time with that presentation. Did you back then think, this is crazy. Why doesn't she just call and buy us another week? Or Yes. <laughs> All the time. Or why is she booking these so close together? We're too busy. But again, now as a business owner, I look back and there are seasons where you have to push through. You've made a commitment. I do think at the time there was too much on the plate. I mean, mm -hmm. plain and simple, we were booking. It's a, a good problem to have too many clients too close together. Yeah. Not having realistic lead times for what building a proposal actually takes. But I always just thought that was a, a really good, strong position to take is that you have our word when we say we're going to be at your home ready to go with your proposal and i don't think i don't recall ever putting anybody off or having to change i don't even think an emergency came up but i would imagine there could be a rare exception but that was a commitment that you made and i think that's such a great way to operate with integrity that's amazing. Uh, but the truth is, I learned a lot since those days, and I was wearing people out by keeping them there late at night and feeding them Swiss Chalet. You were wearing Wesley out, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I only lasted about a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's another good point. People, like, ran from my office like they were on fire after about a year, a year and a half. That, that was yeah. it. They couldn't take it anymore. And I was so confused because I'm like, well, I'm so nice. I bought you sunglasses. Where are you going? Come back. <laughs> right? I remember at the time I left, I was the second most senior designer there as a junior. And I had been there the second longest out of the whole design staff. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It was a revolving door for a while. And then it it hasn't been at all. And in fact, I would say my current staff, who I probably had since, well, I have had since 2008, at least, I've never worked past 5.30 p.m. I don't, I don't think it's ever it's never happened. It wouldn't happen. And I now have better processes as the boss for onboarding clients. So I know like, hey, I can't make a commitment on that presentation because we've got the following things happening. I, and I'm now more confident to say to a client, like, I'm ha we're going to do trade day on this day. And then we'll do the presentation eight weeks later. And I'm okay with the client saying, what? Eight weeks? That's crazy. Yes, that's when we can do it because we have other projects that we need to focus on. And then when it's your turn, we'll give you 100% of our attention. Yeah. 
I can breathe. This wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be, but it just, wow, it does remind me how far I've come. And maybe, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's plenty more that I can improve and get better at. But as, as a now a, a young person who's, um, you've got some real experience under your belt, what do you see as your future goals? I didn't realize I sort of had this entrepreneur side of me, which now looking back, I'm like, duh, of course I was going to go on my own. But I would say I'm pretty close to where I want to be in terms of having a business. I love working from home. I know people, some people love it. Some people think it doesn't, they don't feel as legit if they don't have a physical office space. I've got young kids. I love getting up and getting dressed and getting to work. And so that works really well for me. Right now, I have two part-time staff that help out with admin and expediting. And then I have someone who helps with the design side of things. So I think I would love to go to a point where I had all three of us full-time and have enough clients and enough work and enough pipeline to sustain that. That feels pretty good for me. And maybe when my kids are older and things have changed, I'll want to go bigger, zigzag, go a different direction. But right now I feel like I'm on a good trajectory, focusing on residential and kind of building up this small but mighty team, making sure that we know how to plan project timelines, like you were saying, and not have, not have life get too crazy. Boundaries are hugely important to me. And I think the season when I was with you, there were not a lot of boundaries around people's time and energy. And that was something that was really draining. And I work really hard to protect for me and for my team as well. Were you anticipating another move? I seem to recall that you were thinking you might be moving again. Yes, we are in Waco because my husband got his PhD at Baylor and that means we're done and he's on the job market. So I anticipate probably within the next eight, nine months, I will be starting this over once again in another city. So I'm looking forward to that, but it's also a challenge. Okay, then can you tell us the top three things you know to do when you are starting over in a new city? Because this will speak to people who are relocating to a new city, but it will also speak to people who are just getting started. With all your experience, what would you say are the, the three things you need to do to make sure you succeed as quickly as possible? The three things that worked really well for me here were getting connected with local networking groups. I know we all love online and social and the wizardry we can do behind our computers, but there is something very different about being in a new city and being in front of people, being that friendly face and building those relationships in person. I joined BNI, I joined stuff at the local chamber. I basically hit the pavement in a new city and did what I could to build relationships. Um, Another thing that I would suggest if there's an opportunity, I was able, I cold pitched a local magazine, didn't know anyone there and just said, hey, I'm a designer and a blogger and a writer. I'd love to write for you sometime. And they gave me a monthly column. And so to have that kind of exposure in a new city, I realized that's not gonna be possible for everybody, but finding opportunities to connect in real tangible ways in the local market that isn't just you, but someone else kind of backing you, having a newspaper behind you or a magazine that people trust, that has gone a long way for me here in just getting known in a new place. The third thing is consistency and commitment, showing up every single day, doing what I say I'm going to do, you know, working on the blog, working on the the weekly newsletter, honoring my commitments and 
just staying the course, it probably took two solid years before I really feel like I gained traction here. And it's so hard for those first two years when you are just giving it your all and you're getting paid like $15,000 a year. Like I could go work at Starbucks and make a heck of a lot more for a lot less work, but it is worth it. And the consistency and the persistence will pay off in the end. For that 22 year old who's listening, who you can have, who you have a lot of empathy for, Leslie, what's the best business advice you can give that person? If you do not know a lot about running a business and your skill set is in design, you're prepared for about 10% of what's coming at you as a business owner. I think one of the best things I did to launch my own business was hiring a coach. Absolutely. Talking to somebody who knows their stuff, it can save you years of making real bad mistakes along the way. That's really, really good advice. And what's your blog? My blog and website are at lesliemyrick.com. All right. And that'll be on the show notes as well, because we all want to stay in touch. Will you let us know where you move? Absolutely. The nice thing about this day and age is the business really won't change. My staff can still working with can still work with me virtually. You know, my physical location will change, but everything I built online with my Facebook live show and blog and social media is all still going to be there. But uh, maybe our business of design community can help you with a couple of recommendations when you hit the new town, which would be really nice as well. I want to end then with something I learned from you, which is, uh, which I've never shared with you before. But Leslie quit, she was exhausted and burnt out. And for a variety of reasons, she quit. And I was just like, shocked and like mouth open, like what you're leaving? I can't believe it. And then it was about a year later, you sent me an email and you were raising money for something that you cared about. It was a fundraiser. And I remember getting your email and thinking to myself, are you kidding me? You quit and you have the nerve to ask me to give you a donation. As I matured, I realized that that was really wonderful that you did that. Like it didn't have to be a burned bridge. Like there was no reason why we couldn't reconnect and have a conversation about what happened. And in fact, had I reached out to you a year later to say, why did you really leave? You, I probably would have learned something. So thank you for showing me that the door doesn't, it doesn't have to be a burned bridge because you leave a relationship. You can go back and revisit it. Thank you. Yeah, I think that can be really challenging, kind of separating personal and professional because you're, you're the bomb personally. I had so much fun working with you. I always really enjoyed you. The, the company was just, in, I think it was in a really challenging place and I was not, I, I was not built to handle it. And it just meant that business-wise, it wasn't a fit. But personally, like, you're really fun. I'm glad for, like, business friends again. And this has been great. (laughs) Well, she's the bomb, too. So if you guys don't know Leslie, I hope you will reach out. And uh, we're all rooting for you to succeed in whatever city you're living in. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.